the uh, message on grace comes from Romans 6, 15 through 23. It reads like this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members to slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards of righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time for the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. And the fruits lead to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's his blessed in 1824, Peru won uh, her freedom from Spain. A gentleman, a general by the name of Simón Bolivar led the charge, the liberating forces that gave Peru her freedom. He convened uh, the Peruvians, and as he did, the point of the meeting was to draw up a new constitution for this newly formed entity, this country called Peru. When he did, the people tried to make uh, Bolivar the new president of Peru. He said, I'm not worthy to serve in such a position and refused their attempts to make him president. So when he did, uh, the people said, we must do something for you. So they gave him what in 1824 was a fortune, a million pesos. He then asked the question, how many slaves are there in Peru? He said, I will put as much money as is necessary with uh, this gift you have given me, and I will buy them back out of slavery. What good is a nation that is free if it's full of people who are not, Bolivar said. That's essentially what Paul is saying in the second part of Romans 6. What good is a people who by the cross of Jesus have been declared free from sin if they still live in slavery to sin? Uh, what good is it if you have been declared righteous by God and free from sin through his death on the cross, but you today are still enslaved to the same sins that tripped you up before you came to Christ? That's what the rest of, 
of Romans 6 is all about. Paul says, as a matter of fact, in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now, what does it mean to be under law and what does it mean to be under grace? Well, um, we might think of it this way. Let's say you are going down the interstate and the speed limit is 65. You're doing 66 when you get pulled by a state trooper and he's clocked you and indeed you were speeding. He looks at you and says, yes, you were speeding. You were going one mile an hour over the speed limit. I won't give you a ticket. I'll give you a warning this time. Slow down. You might say, and I'll read, speeding shall not be master over you. Paul may say it this way, because you are not under the rule of the speed limit. Uh, When you are pulled over, you will receive grace. All right, so if you know that's what's going to happen, then what is the temptation? Oh, speed every time, right? That's our temptation. Let's just speed every time. Paul answers that in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? In other words, should I drive 75 miles an hour because if I get pulled, the trooper's going to look at me, not give me a ticket, and say, well, you're under grace. Paul says, of course not. Uh, heaven forbid, it's, it's a firm no that Paul gives to that. Uh, There's one translation, modern translation, that renders it this way. What a ghastly thought. Uh, No way you should speed because you won't get a ticket. You'll just get a warning. Why? Because speeding outside of tickets has consequences. That's the point. Speeding Outside of getting a ticket has certain consequences. The faster you go, the more prone you are to accidents. The faster you go, the more prone you are to hurt yourself or hurt someone else. If you are here this morning and you are trapped in sin, this message is for you. If you sit here this morning and think that you're okay as you continue in your sin, you you feel no remorse or no guilt for it, then it is imperative that you hear these words. I would also say that often I preach with no notes, but this morning I have pages of them. All right, so it's not going to add to the length of the sermon, but this is a tough uh, passage to dig through. I say to my Old Testament, my New Testament students on some days at 8 o'clock in the morning when they, you know, there's a whole list of places they'd rather be than in my class. This morning you won't get this if you, unless you sit up straight, uh, take notes, and pay attention. And I would say to you as a church, you won't get this unless you say, okay, I'm going to force myself. If you don't normally take notes, this is a morning to do it because this is heady stuff. Uh, What Paul says here are are three principles, three truths, three realities about every human being, believer or not, but about every human being. Number one, slavery is not optional. Look at this. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? 
Slavery is not optional, Paul says. Doesn't matter who you present yourself to, whoever you present yourself to, to that person you are a slave. This word present is the key word here. It means to hand over oneself to. It is a compound word in Greek, and it means to hand over oneself to. We might use one word in English and say surrender. Uh, When you surrender yourself to someone, you become a slave of that person or something. You become a slave of that thing. You say, Jerry, I don't believe you. Uh, let Let me see if I can prove my point here. How many of you, uh, raise your hand if you put shoes on this morning. Just raise your hand, all right? Uh, Everybody put them on. Sarah takes hers off every Sunday for some reason, but everybody put shoes on, all right? How many of you thought, now, how do I put my shoes on again? Unless they're new or they lace up to your knees, most likely you didn't think that way. You just put them on. Why? Because at some point when you were a kid, you began to learn how to put shoes on, and that's the way you've put shoes on for years. And whether or not you know it, you have become a slave to putting shoes on like that. That's just the way you do it. There is no way you would change the way you put shoes on unless somebody made you. Unless they said, no, don't don't put that foot on first. You wouldn't change it. All right, so you may be able to answer this one for your neighbor. How many of you brushed your teeth this morning? All right, be honest, middle schoolers. All right, so I have a middle schooler who sometimes struggles with that task. And so um, most likely if you've brushed your teeth for any length of time, you didn't say to yourself this morning, now start over here, move here, and start there, and go down here, and go here, and go there, hit the tops, the bottoms, go inside. No. Why? You know how to brush your teeth. In a sense, you become a slave to that form of brushing your teeth. We, in life, slavery isn't optional. It's part of life. So what happens? Well, before you come to know Christ, you have habits that aren't necessarily godly. And you present yourself to them, don't you? You you do the same thing again and again and again. And it isn't godly, but you're used to doing it. So you become a slave to that. And then once you come to Christ, on some occasions, and I found this in my 20 uh, or so years of ministry to be rare, but on on some occasions, God immediately rids the person of that desire for that sin. The alcoholic doesn't even want alcohol anymore. That is rare. It happens, but it's rare. On most occasions, the person comes to faith in Christ, still struggles with sin, still struggles against it, and has to learn new ways of figuratively putting on shoes and brushing teeth. Why? 
because we, come, we become enslaved to our habits. Slavery is not optional, Paul says. If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And that leads us to our second reality. Slavery to sin is optional. All right, for the believer, all of a sudden we discover we have a choice. Notice this. He says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. When you come to faith in Christ, all of a sudden you're presented with a choice. You could say no to sin or yes to sin. There is a power in you called the Holy Spirit who's calling the shots all of a sudden. And the way you once responded to a situation, you don't respond now as a follower of Christ. Why? Holy Spirit living in you saying yes to some things, no to other things. He's calling shots. Now, if you look at the background of all of this slave talk, you must understand at least a little slice of slavery in Roman times. Some scholars say half of Rome was slaves. If that is the case, then many people who are reading this letter know what Paul is talking about with all this terminology. You and I have a big disconnect with it, but they would have had a major connect with it. Uh, But secondly, your slavery experience, if you will, was determined by the guy or the family who owned you. If they were good, oh, you had a great experience, and many slaves were considered to be members of the family. If they weren't, it was horrible. Paul is saying here that you'll be enslaved either way. You'll either have a good master or a bad one. Uh, Slavery to sin is optional. You, You choose. So what happens? We have several new believers in the room. This is critical that you get this probably for the very first time. And for others of you, you need to be reminded. What is it? When you come to Christ, automatically Satan puts you on his hit list right? His hatred for you intensifies. He wants you to fail. He wants you to blow it. He wants you to uh, mess up again. He wants you to give in to the sin again that used to trip you up. He wants you to do that. And all of a sudden, uh, people think they come to Christ and everything's going to be great and everything's going to be wonderful. And when you come to Christ, war breaks out. That never existed before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in you, Galatians 5 deals with this, is saying no to sin and your sinful nature that has all of these habits is saying, oh, but I like to do this. And so you come to Christ and you used to be a gossip before. I mean, you just could just talk it up with the best of them. You walk into your uh, place where you get your hair cut and you're used to just dogging everybody out. Or you go to the Y and you're used to dogging everybody out when you go to the Y. And all of a sudden you come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, you walk into that same place and your sinful nature says, well, look at her, you know? How long has she been working out? 
Um, and so then you're tempted to talk about it, but your new nature in Christ and the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, don't go there. A war breaks out, and the most miserable people on the planet are believers who sin. Why? Because they had a choice. Before Christ, no choice. Satan called the shots, ruled the day. Sinful nature ruled the day. No Holy Spirit inside saying no. After Christ, you have a choice. And your choice is to say no to sin and yes to God. Every believer has a choice. Slavery to sin is optional. Um, I, I realize that I'm speaking to people in this room this morning who know Christ, who have said some major yeses to sin this week. Some of you workaholics, your God is your job, your career. You can think of nothing else. When you get home, your wife never feels your home. Your husband never feels like you've gotten home. Why? Because work goes with you everywhere you go. You're enslaved to it. Others of you are so paralyzed by worry. You worry about things most of which never, ever happen. But worry paralyzes you. Some of you are addicted to alcohol, and you thought, coming to Christ, I'll never want to taste it again. And when life begins to unravel, all of a sudden, the very thing you said you would never do Again, you turn to. Perhaps it's gambling, pornography, same-sex attraction. Some of you are addicted to a, a person. If they're up, you're up. If they're down, you're down. Your entire world revolves around that person, how they respond to you, they're your God. That can so happen during the dating years. And it can so happen during, let me say, with all due respect to middle school and high school kids, fake high school love. All right? It's fake Yes, I know that some of you older folks met your high school sweetheart, and that worked out. Those days are so long gone. All right? I think people were a little more grown up back then. Just a tad. New culture, new day. For some of you, your sin is food. You overeat. Almost every day of your life, you feel bad about it. You don't like your weight. You don't like this. For others of you, it's the other extreme. And you looked in the mirror today and for some reason thought you were overweight and you're not. Here's the reality for everybody, no matter where you are on the spectrum, you choose your own master either of sin, which leads to death, or of righteousness, which leads to life. You make those calls. You make those choices. 
Paul says slavery to sin is voluntary. You say, okay, Jerry, what do I do? Like, I know, I know I'm not arguing with you. I know that this is sin. What do I do? This will be on the blog tomorrow, but let me just read it to you today. Day one, today I walked down a street. I fell into a hole. I did not see the hole until I had fallen in. I climbed out. Day two. Today I walked down the same street. I saw the hole. I knew it was there all along. I got caught up in the crowd and fell into the hole again. I climbed out. Day three. Today I walked down the street. I knew right where the hole was. All of a sudden my attention was drawn to an accident and before I had realized it, I had fallen into the hole again. I climbed out. Day four. Today I walked down the street. I saw the hole ahead of time. And I walked on the other side of the street. Day five. Today I walked down a different street. What must some of you do? Some of you are engaged in an ungodly relationship that you must sever today. Some of you are battling a secret sin that must become secret no more. You you need to go talk and share and let godly men or godly women or godly couples pray with you and for you and walk with you. You've got to walk down a new street. You have to. Uh, Guess what excuse, according to the last half of Romans 6, doesn't work ever again in a believer's life. The devil made me do it. Why? He has no power over you that you don't give him. He has no control over you that you don't exercise. Uh, Allow him to exercise. When you were born again, Christ came to live in you. Take up residence in your heart. Call the shots. Determine uh, your course and your direction. Any sin thereafter is a total choice on your part. Wow. Slavery to sin. Slavery isn't optional, and you could choose your master, then why should you choose one master over another? Well, verses 19 through 23 give us the third reality. Every master rewards his slaves. Look at this. I am speaking in human terms, Paul says, talking about slavery, because of your natural limitations. Paul's saying, this is so hard to get. So that's why I'm using this slavery language. For just as you once presented your members to slay as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Every master master rewards its slaves. 
what, what is Paul saying? You used to sin, and then that caused you to want to do what? Sin more. And when you sinned more, guess what you wanted to do after that? Well, sin some more. Sin leads to sin, which leads to more sin, which leads to more sin. Sin is always digressive in nature. Sin always spirals down. Sin never works for your good. Sin never accomplishes for you what is going to be your ultimate good. Never. So Paul says here that every master rewards its slaves. And so the master of sin will reward you by building the appetite for sin. You, it's like a, a Lay's potato chip. You can't eat just one, right? You have to have another. Sin is like that. You dip into the bag of sin. and The commercial of sin is that you can't eat just one. Except sin never advertises that. Satan never says that to you. He says, do this just, just once. Just once. Sat with a young man this week that I am discipling who just came to Christ. He shared with me his first encounter with marijuana, his first encounter with pornography, the coercion that came on both accounts from family members, and it led him down and down and down and down. Sin always does that. Every master rewards his slaves, but thankfully it's not all negative. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. What are your members? Your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet, your body. So now, present your members. So now do the right thing. And when you do the right thing, guess what you'll want to do next time? The right thing. And the right thing. And the right thing. You begin to starve your sinful nature and your new person in Christ enjoys walking with God. Every master rewards its slaves. The right thing breeds the right thing, which breeds the right thing, which breeds the right thing. That's why you have to walk down the new street. I went to visit Bob and Candy uh, this Thursday. Candy Wasman, we prayed for a while ago. Bob's sitting down front, and he shared this story. He said he took Candy to the hospital. She had significant trouble breathing, so he pulled around, uh, dropped her off, I think parked in a space that he shouldn't have, and he went to move his car. And when he did, Bob is a veteran. He encountered another and they struck up a conversation, and it was one of those bitter cold nights. And so Bob uh, asked the veteran, I think, to sit in his car, and they began to talk. And this young veteran was uh, dealing with significant 
significant challenges. Works at McDonald's, uh, family sick, wrestling with major issues of discouragement, depression. And Bob said he just kind of got caught up in that conversation with this young veteran and noticed that he was taking a drink out of a soda bottle. And Bob said, I looked and realized it was too dark to be just Coke. And he said, I said, listen, son, that's not the answer to your problems. You need God. Alcohol won't solve what you're going through. God can. Uh, What Bob was saying is exactly what is being said here. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Before Christ, there wasn't the Holy Spirit saying no uh, to sin and yes to God. But verse 21 says, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Look back at your life before Christ. Look at the sin that you once committed. Look at the gossip that you once talked. Look at the fear you once lived in. Look at the alcoholic fits you once threw. And the anger that people used to see around you and the laziness that characterized your life. Look at that. Are you proud of that, Paul is saying? Are you excited about this old life or are you ashamed of those things? The fruit that was produced then was shameful. He says the end of those things is death. If you write in your Bibles, verse 22, you should underline the first two words, but now. I love that, but now. There's so much hope that comes shining through the darkness with those two tiny words, but now, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. He's saying when you come to Christ, now, you can have eternal life. Now you can have this eternal quality of life, this abundant, overflowing life. Why? Because every master rewards its slaves. Please hear me. You are buying into the lie that you can't quit your sin. You have been deceived by the slave master of sin. And you're buying into the lie that if God asks you to, well, he's not being very good to you. But everything God will ever ask you to do will be for your good. He will never, ever ask anything of you that would not be for your good. Never. Paul says here, but now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, you get this eternal quality of life. Verse 23, that off-quoted verse when sharing the gospel with somebody really is for believers. For the wages of sin is death. Sin has a payday, and the payday for sin is always death. 
You say, how does that work? Ask anybody who is married to an unrepentant alcoholic, and they'll talk, talk to you about death of emotions, death of feeling, death of relationship. Ask anyone who is parenting a child who is addicted to drugs, and they'll talk to you about death of, death of rational thinking, death of emotional connection, death of genuine ability to love and respect. The wages of sin is death. Ask the wife married to the husband who is a workaholic, and she will talk to you about death of emotion between the two, relationship. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, free gift. There are two metaphors that are used here, a gift and fruit. Please hear me. You can't produce fruit yourself, and if it's a gift, you can't buy it. It's free. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God only wants life for you. So how does this all kind of sift out? We are all slaves. As believers, we now choose our master, sin or righteousness. Every master rewards his slaves. Say, so Jerry, what do I do now? I'm going to give you three potential next steps. All right. For some of you, you need to go this week to celebrate recovery Thursday night, 6 o'clock, and you will encounter a group of people who will help you walk through any addiction that you have, any habit, any hurt, any hang-up. Rob and Jacqueline, would you stand for just a moment? Rob and Jacqueline, just turn around and face. They uh, work with Celebrate Recovery, and at the end of this service, they will be right here. And if you want more information, just come see them. And they can help you to know next step to be free. You can be seated.